0: Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We open up this service with prayer to praise your holy name for it's you that's holy and not us. That's why you told the rich young roller, why do you call me good? You wanted him to identify that he was good. But men, fall short of your glory, Lord, and today we're here, fallen men and women, to bring glory and honor and praise to your holy name as we learn from your scriptures and see the beauty of your holiness, Lord, today. Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds that we might understand what it is you're going to teach to us today from your word. Lord, today, yes, Lord. I'd like to start off this service with just dedicating myself to you once again. Yes, Lord. Lord, become the man that you want me to be. I so repent of my sin, Lord, for I am a sinner, and I agree with you. I agree with you, Lord. I sin, and I ask you to cleanse me from my sin through confession of it. Before men, Lord, I pray that every human being on the face of the earth will call out to you and repent of their sin, asking you to forgive them and for you to come in their into their heart and make them the man, the woman, the child of God that you want us to be. Time's running out, Lord. We can see it. The world goes on to its destruction because of the wretched sin that's within our hearts. Lord, today, help us to become that child of God that you want us to be. To you be the glory for it all, Lord. And as we preach here today, that's what we want to be done. People to repent and be saved and come to the saving knowledge of you and to serve you when they walk out this door today. Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. It's a whole new lifestyle that we have begotten when we came to know you. Help us to live that lifestyle with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. God bless you all. You may be seated. Welcome, everybody, online. You're listening to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. We air on stream you can go to our website freedomchurchpb.org freedomchurchpb.org and you can you can tune into any of our messages you can hit the menu button you can go down to live stream and and you're on and once you hit live stream you'll see our dove come up a little arrow beside it press on that and you'll be live listening to us if not, that'll be in the archives and sermons. You can go down, scroll down the menu and come to all the sermons and look at the one that might might be best for you to uh, grow in the Lord or one that just appeases or appeals to your, your person. So you can even give online. So we thank you for that. But we air every Sunday at 10 a.m., so tune in. We also air Thursday nights at 7.15. I'm in the book of Genesis. And... Um, we're studying in chapter 46, I believe we were on this week. And 45 and 46, just let me give you a a, a mature look at, at this. We see Joseph finally identifies himself to his brothers who sold them into slavery into Egypt. But they thought for sure he was going to wipe them out because he had the power, second in command in Egypt. But Joseph meets with a f- mature faith. He meets tragedy from God's perspective. He didn't want to kill his brothers. He said this. You know. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. To preserve a nation. Many nations as a matter of fact. So Joseph. And also us. With a mature faith. We should be viewing God. From his point of view. There's even a song on that. I couldn't remember. The, and I heard it 30, 40 years ago. Um, it says. Seeing God, Seeing through God's eyes. Someday I'm going to find that, but uh, anyway, today for um, we're in Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight. So get your Bibles out to Matthew chapter eight and open it up. We have are studying expositionally through the book of Matthew, and uh, we're on chapter eight this week. I spent two weeks on chapter seven. Um, let me just give you a a quick rundown of. Uh, of chapters one through four, just real quick, we saw Jesus as a person and as presented as the king through Matthew. And Matthew's gospel presents Jesus as the king. Luke presents him as a servant. Mark presents him as a servant, I'm sorry. And uh Luke presents him as a as a teacher, and of course. John presents him as God in the flesh. But in chapters 1 through 4, we saw Jesus as the person, identified as the king. In chapters 5 through 7, we saw Jesus give us principles from chapter 5, 6, and 7. That was the Sermon on the Mount. And this let me show you a few things that he said, okay? Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. These things like this, Jesus was teaching his principles, what godly principles to mankind. And we still love to live by them today. But in this chapter, 8 through chapter 10, we're going to see his power. His power. So we saw his person, we see his principles, and now we see his power. How's he going to do that power? He's going to, to uh, let's see, let me tell you what, what he's going to do. He's going to give bodily healing to people. And not only bodily healing, but spiritual healing. He's also going to speak the nature, and it's going to obey him. He's going to, cast out demons with authority and they're going to leave he's going to raise the dead in the next couple chapters we're going to have only one experience of that but there's more through the scriptures and he's going to multiply fish and loaves he's going to create right before four thousand five thousand people gathered you know he's going to create right in his hand as he broke the bread and, and broke the fish so he's demonstrating here his power. So we know he's the king. Well prove it. Okay? He's gonna prove it in this chapter. In the chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter ten also. He's gonna prove it with power. So he just didn't speak words. They were they were possessed with authority. And power, and that's why the people followed Jesus. It even says in the scriptures, they followed him, they loved him, because he taught with authority and not like the scribes. If you were in our prayer session this morning, you know we were speaking with authority, taking authority. So, what we're going to see, we're only going to get to one of these miracles today, but in Mark and cha- Matthew chapter eight here, you're going to see a leper healed. You're going to see next week, the centurion servant is raised from the dead. You're going to see a fever being taken away by just Jesus' command. You're going to see those who were sick be healed. A whole bunch of them. Not just one here, one there, but he healed all We're going to see also in chapter 8 he has authority over creation. Can you speak to the wind and the waves and say stop? I would have done that a hundred times when I was out fishing on Lake Erie. But he can speak to the wind and the waves and they will obey him. The paralytic sins are going to be forgiven. He's identifying himself as God. He can forgive sins. So he's showing them the power the authority has he's going to heal a woman that has an issue with blood he's going to heal her he's also going to raise a ruler's daughter from the dead in chapter 9 he's going to open the eyes of a man born blind he's going to show and reveal his power not just his person as king his principles are going to be backed up with the power of the authority that he has he's going to Make a mute man speak. And he's going to cast out demons also again. We're going to see his power and his authority. So when Jesus spoke in chapters 1 through 4, and he was presented by Matthew as the king of all kings, I should say, and chapter 5, when he taught his principles from the Mount of Olives, we should... Understand now when he raises the dead and heals a leper that he definitely has power and authority. So it's all those his person, his principles are backed up with power. I mean, he wasn't just talking; he was doing. So let's start with uh, chapter eight. Let's get your Bible. I'm reading from the New American Standard here. I'm only going to read the fourth verse, four verses, and I think we're going to end with that today because there's an addition to this at at the end. I'm going to show you and apply it, that we can apply this to our life. Chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A leper came up to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hands and touched him. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourselves to the priest and present the offering that Moses has has given testimony to. So here's Jesus, he comes down from the mountain. This is the first miracle in the book of Matthew. It is not the first miracle that Jesus Jesus did. Matthew has a purpose in his writing. He's showing us what, what I just went over several times here. Now Jesus is going to back everything he said up, and his person as king, he's going to back it up with the power and the authority that he has. So this is the first miracle in Matthew, and it is cleansing a leper. Leprosy was a symbol of sin in the Old Testament. Leviticus 13 tells us that leprosy starts beneath the surface of the skin, and it spreads throughout the whole body. And guess where sin starts? It starts from within, and it makes you ugly as you progress in that sin. Just like a leper would become ugly as he progressed in his, his leprosy. See, leprosy and sin will rot you from the inside out. It will rot you from the inside out. That's why God wants to speak to your heart. He wants you to accept them in his heart, not with your head or your flesh. He wants you to accept them with your heart. Leviticus 13, I said, tells us leprosy starts beneath the surface of the skin and it spreads throughout the whole entire body, same as sin. But each one is tempted. We say that in James. I'm going to go to chapter James here, and I'm going to read it to you from the Scripture so we can get it a clear version. I'm going to start in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it brings birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Can you see the the rotting away just in that, that verse is there? I always tell everybody it's sin, lust, and death, LSD, and you're on a bad trip. I like to say that because it hits people where the drugs are. That's what it does. It will send you on a bad trip to hell. Here's uh, the application a little bit on this. What you see outwardly then is what's going on inwardly on on a person that's in sin and with leprosy. you What's going on inside is begins to reveal itself. To those that lived in these this day, leprosy was really as good as if you were dead. Nobody touched you. Nobody wanted to talk to you. When you walked along the way, you cried out, leper, leper, and they scattered 150 feet in each direction because they were scared to death that it was communicable by touch. he was separated from the community so leprosy has a a threefold uh, it is a threefold disease it hits you physically your body rots it hits you socially because you're isolated from everybody when you were found to have leprosy in these days you had to be taken away from your family he was separate and is also spiritually because the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests taught that, that God had rejected these people and they were evil, 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 which we know is not so. So it wrought you from the outside and from the inside out. It also has a threefold restoration because once they're healed, they're restored physically, their skin, their limbs before you know, they're even, even even their fingers bend again to grow back out. They have a social restoration because after they go to the priest and offer the sacrifice, they can go back to their family. And it has a spiritual restoration. Because, you know, spiritually, if you look at it from the spiritual point of view, you are healed. Your sin is forgiven. As the disease progressed, here's what would happen. The skin would turn hard and shiny. The nerves become numb, which causes their fingers and their toes and even their noses to fall off or just rot away. It was an evil disease. Leprosy was thought, I, I mentioned earlier, it was thought to be a judgment from God. And actually, the word leprosy means smitten. Smitten, and I think that's where they got it. Smitten by God, because you're evil. Dr. Luke, since, you know, Luke, the gospel writer, he was a doctor, and he tells us in his gospel that this man was full of leprosy. It means that his fingers could have been fallen off. He may not even had a nose. He may have been blind. I doubt it, since it's not mentioned in the scripture. He may have been missing his, his toes, couldn't walk correctly, he's full of leprosy. That means he's in the last stages of leprosy. Now, leprosy today has been arrested. It's also known as Hansen's disease. Dr. Hansen was the one who found the, not the cure, but the, I guess, the cure to arrest it or to stop it in its place. But Dr. Luke is telling us, this was a guy who just didn't have a little finger phone off. He was rotting away. Now, the question that crowd is facing is, does this person, Jesus, have the power and the authority to bring healing to this, which would back up his kingship and which would back up his principles? Does he have the authority to do that? Now, the man, in verse 2, he bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He bowed down before him. You know, that tells you something about what he thought of Jesus. Okay? If you went to the King James Version, that was the New American Standard Version, and the King James Version says, he worshipped him. So now we get a better picture. Not only is he bowed down, but he's worshiping him. And Jesus, Je- Jesus in the scriptures is the only one that ever accepted worship. The disciples wouldn't accept worship, the angels won't accept worship, but Jesus accepted worship prior, you know, as he walked the earth and as even after he was risen from the dead. He was worshiped. This leper he didn't come up to him and say, if, you know, uh, can you make me clean? He said, I know you can make me clean. I know you have the power. He had faith. He had faith. This leper didn't doubt Jesus at all. He had faith, which is important for us. We have to have faith to be healed. We have to have faith to be saved. We have to have faith in Jesus to obey. We have to have faith in his word that we would become the men and women that that he wants us to be. This leper did not doubt Jesus' ability. He knew that he could heal him. There was no doubt in his statement. Today is the same way. We know that Jesus can do this and do that because if you're a Christian, you, you know that Jesus can do whatever... He wants, as long as it doesn't have anything to do with sin, he won't do it. But he can do it. You know he can. So we're 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 in the place where we don't doubt his power. We doubt his willingness. Will he heal me of cancer? Will he heal me of COVID-19 and the delta strand that follows and any other strand that comes after it? Can he? Yes. The answer is yes. Can he take your blind eyes and make you see? Yes. And it's not going to be the person that laid your hands on, on you if you so happen to be raised from the dead or, or being able to see after you were blind. It's because God happened to use this poor, meal, friggly sinner It has nothing to do with you. But this healing is going to back up everything that he said, his person, his principles, and they see his power. Now, Jesus stretched out his hand in verse 3 and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left. That means that this multitude that was following Jesus, when he touched that that leper with his hand, can you hear them go, (laughs) He touched him. I'm not going anywhere near him. Some of them probably began to scatter, saying, get away from Jesus, because they didn't want to touch him. They didn't want to touch him because they might get leprosy. This was the first touch that this guy ever had in probably many years because he was rotting away. Remember, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. They're going, oh. And Jesus says, he didn't say, "Uh, if you want, I mean, you can, I think you can make me clean. No, he said, I know you can make me clean. Who knows what he heard about Jesus? Jesus fed the 5,000. He's fed the 4,000. He was up on the mount. We don't know. Matthew's gospel is not in chronological order. He's piled up these 12 healings in three chapters. One after the other, after the other, after the other, so that his power would be identified and who he was. He says, I am willing. Literally, that means in, say, English today, I would love to. Or, well, how about, with all my heart, I am willing. He was ready. So he touched him. Four reasons. Let me give you four reasons why Jesus healed this man. Number one, which I already covered, he took, confirm his identification as king. To establish that kingship of his. And to as a testimony to his power that would back up the principles he taught and the kingship he has, as a testimony to the priests. Why did Jesus say, don't tell anybody, but go to the priests and offer the sacrifice that's written in the scriptures? Why would he say that? You know why? He's going to get the attention of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the priests right off the bat. He's laying hands on a leper that was fully leprosy and uh, and he was healed. Listen. Leprosy in the scriptures is only recorded as being healed once. In the Old Testament nobody has ever offered the sacrifices that Moses commanded for leprosy. That means that the priest, when this men that had leprosy showed up to offer sacrifice. They go, oh, I don't know how. We better pull the Scriptures out and find out how. What is? What do we do? What do we do? We never did this before. Therefore, before the priest, his identification was made. So Nicodemus, um, Joseph of Arimathea, Caiaphas, and Annas, they should have known who this was. This First miracle points to the fact that God in Christ can cleanse men of spiritual leprosy. He can cleanse you from all of your sin. Because leprosy, remember, represents sin. It rots you from the inside out. The enticement turns to lust, and the lust turns to sin, and the sin turns to death. It's a progressive downward spiral. Here's what the lep- the uh, priests had to do. They had to go to Leviticus chapter 14, before, but they didn't have the numbers back then. They had the scrolls. But I'm going to read it to you. In Leviticus 14, 4 through 8, they were to take two turtle doves. So once they're reading the scriptures, the priests got to take two turtle doves and an earthen vessel, and a piece of hyssop with a scarlet cord wrapped around it. Guess what the scarlet cord represents? Hmm. Remember I did that teaching not too long ago about the scarlet cord that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation? That scarlet cord was going to represent the blood. And we're to take that scarlet cord wrapped around it and running living water. They were to put the living water into an earth, the earthen vessel, okay? And they were to kill one of the birds and drain its blood into the living water, dip the other bird in the sacrificial blood, sprinkle the man seven times, which is a number of perfection, set the living dove free, which is a picture of us being set free by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, these priests had no spirituality in them, or they would have recognized this. And Nicodemus proved it when he said, I know that you are from God because you wouldn't be able to do the things that you're doing if God were not with you. Then he was to wash his clothes. He was to shave off all of his hair, his beard, his hair, you know, everything shaved off. And he was to bathe himself and put on clean clothing, and he was able to go home. He's been set free. And when you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you can go home. It's called the kingdom of heaven. You will be going home someday. That's why Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, that was directed to the priests; It wasn't really directed to the people. Even though I'm sure they caught the power. But it was directed to the priest. Jesus is trying to say, wake up, wake up, wake up. And today, you know what? The church needs to wake up. Because we're sleeping in the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This miracle definitely got their attention. Nobody has ever done it before. Nobody's ever even used this. The only one that was healed of leprosy was was uh, Naaman in the Old Testament. And he had a servant. He was the general in the Assyrian army. And his servant girl, who happened to be a Jew, told him that there's a prophet in Israel that could heal him of his leprosy. So he got the king's permission, and he went to Israel to find Elijah the prophet. And when when he walked up to find out where Elijah was, he wouldn't... He sent his servant ahead, and Elijah wouldn't even see him. Elijah just said, tell him to go dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman was ticked off. I'm the general in Israel. I could wipe him out. He even had his army with him. Yeah, i got to just wipe him out. And the servant with the wise servant said to him, if he told you to do something great and awesome, would you do it? He said, I would. So, well, why not go to the Jordan River, the muddy Jordan River, and dip yourself in there seven times? Why not do it? So he did. He dipped seven times. He came up, his leprosy was gone. He went back home and he started out during sacrifices to Jehovah, Yahweh. No longer the, the pagan king's gods. And he even told the king, he says, I'll go with you or take, you know, walk with you to the temple, but I'm not going to offer sacrifices. I'm going to offer sacrifices to the God of Israel. But he never performed. He never went to the Mosaic Law, and you know, and did what was done there. So it was never ever done before. These priests did it for the first, the very first time. Jesus just making the the religious leadership know who he was, and if they searched the Scripture and you would search the Scripture correctly, you would know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Israel. You know, I just did a funeral up in Claremont, Florida. and It took me about three, uh, three and a half hours to drive there. He was a friend of mine. He was a Jewish convert. But he lived up in Claremont, and when he was in this area, he'd be at this church with, our, with his wife. Well, he passed away, but guess what? He was a converted Jew. He was a Messianic Jew. But his family was not. So when I got up there, I told him, I said, you know, I know that, um, you know, you're here to to pay respects to your brother, your friend, your loved one, your husband. I said, but this is a Christian funeral. And I'm going to show you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of Israel. And I took the scriptures and... Uh, I, show, I told them 365 prophecies were fulfilled, and I explained them to them, and as I could, I could see them turning their head away from me, you know, uh, saying things like, oh, that's not true or something like that. I told them, I said, listen, there's 365 prophecies out there in the scriptures that identify the Messiah. And I told him about you know if I if I had my dad come into the airport and I sent one of you up to see meet my dad and if I told you my dad had a had a a a red cowboy hat with a big brim on it and a turkey feather in the top and he had pink shoes and a and a turquoise duff, duffel bag and a backpack on his hat, hat that is red white and blue I said and uh, you would recognize would I, would he need to hold would you need to hold up a sign. That says, is Mr. Trapani here? No, the answer is no. You recognize him because of who he was, what it was, what what the scriptures identified him as I identified my father to you. And they missed it. 365 of them. I only gave them like seven. But they knew. I heard them shake their head, and we would know. Here's what Malachi says the second to the last chapter, chapter three, verse one. Behold, the priest that that just performed this ceremony on this leper, he said, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, that's John the Baptist, and he will clear the way for me, capitalize me, that means God, Okay. and the Lord, all capital letters, which means Elohim, whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. That's God's last warning before he, he shut up, the scriptures for, for he shut up the area for 400 years I'm going to send my messenger and they knew John the Baptist John the Baptist was well known they loved John the Baptist the scriptures are full of, of things about Messiah if you went to Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 through 26 I'm not going to read that for you I know that you, if you've been in this church you've uh, heard this before let's see Daniel, I didn't mark it. Daniel chapter 9. Oops, wrong way. Here we go. Chapter, verse 25, 24 through 26. Seventy weeks shall be been decreed for your people And your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sin and to make atonement for iniquity 70 weeks to bring an everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy place so you are to know and discern from the issuing of the decree to build restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince there will be 70 weeks and 62 weeks and it will be built again with with plaza and moat even in times of distress after then after the 62 weeks the messiah will be cut off and have nothing and his people of the prince who will come will destroy the the city and the sanctuary. You know what that means? There's going to be 70 weeks. They had that date in history. I mentioned it many times. I think it was March 4th, 444th B.C. If you count off you know, the 70 weeks, in, in, uh, in Babylon, uh, a year was 360 days. So that's what Daniel was writing. If you take that time and add it all together, you'll come up right around when Jesus is healing this leper. So they should know Messiah is here. Remember, remember um, the man in the temple, Zachariah, I believe his well name was, in the temple when Mary and Joseph presented Jesus and the Holy Spirit had told him he wasn't going to die until he saw the Messiah. And we see that he recognized them as a baby. He recognized them. He says, now, Lord, you can take me in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. They should have known. You know what it boils down to? Just like the ones I preached to up in Claremont, they didn't care. Even though their brother was was represented there in ashes, which is another thing against the Hebrew nation. They don't like, you know, they don't want to be, um, it's not lawful for them to be cremated. He lived it out. And not only that, you could go to, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29, or 18. On that day, the deaf will hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. The afflicted will increase in gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. That means Messiah is here. You could go to 42 of Isaiah, verse 7 as a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners out of the dungeon and to those who dwell in darkness from prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. You could go to Isaiah 61, which is where Jesus started his ministry. Let's go there real quick. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. These... these Jewish people didn't care. And there's a whole world full of people out here today that just don't care. They they plan their their wedding. They plan their college. They plan their career. They plan their children. They plan what house to live in and where to live. But they forget about their eternal future. Kind of silly, don't you think? I mean, Let me rephrase it. Kind of stupid, don't you think? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to grant to those in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord that may He may be glorified. They 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 missed it. This is really towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry. It's not like way into it. They should have known who He was, and they did. They followed Him around to to get more to get more evidence, just to to uh, get rid of Him, really, for the most part. Jesus can cleanse. In other words, Jesus can cleanse your gross, runny, smelly, stinking sin in your life. Because that's what it is. It's rotten, it stinks, it's running, and it's ruining your life. And it doesn't matter what sin it is. It's sin. If you break one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. Whatever it that's in you that you're struggling with. Jesus can handle it. He can handle it. You know that? You say you can't get victory over coke. You can't get victory over sex, adultery, fornication. You know what? This, this tells you that yes, you can. I know people that were healed instantly of drugs, and I know others that struggled for years. And I know others that OD'd. To death. Jesus is saying, I can heal it. I can handle it. He isn't shocked by how gross your sin is. He isn't shocked one single bit. He sees it all. And when he's put on the cross, he's going to bear it all. So don't say to yourself, whenever I get it all together, I'll come to Jesus. Because you'll never get it together. Never. You come, as Billy Graham always put at the end of his evangelistic crusades, come just as you are. But, I'm going to add to that, but when you leave, you better be changed. Because Billy Graham himself says if he would be happy if 5% of the people that came to the front at all of his crusades, he would be happy if 5% of them were really, truly saved. That's not a big number. There's an it's, it's high because five percent of the people that Billy Graham, you know, brought to the Lord at crusades, it's high, but it's still it should have been the whole hundred percent. But they didn't come. And they didn't change. Then there are those that say, "Come into my life, Lord, touch me. I want Your presence. I want." to lift my hands in praise and sing, and sing to you, but I'm not willing to change. Don't change my life. I'll be glad to go to church, but don't change my life, Lord. I like my sin. Hmm. I like it. The truth is, if the Lord touches you like this leper, you will be changed. Listen, that guy was changed right before their eyes. You wonder why the crowds followed Jesus? They saw this guy healed right before their eyes. Even when he broke the fish and everything, you know, there were thousands of people. There was 4,000 and 5,000, and that was only caught the men, so there was probably more like 10,000 and 15,000 people. But they didn't really see him. They didn't have microphones and all that stuff like we have here today. We had natural um natural structures that magnify. That's why Jesus taught at the water a lot. And between mountains so he could have that echo. Anyway, they didn't see him. They saw probably saw him up front breaking it, but they didn't know there was uh, two fish and five loaves. They just saw Jesus putting fishing they probably didn't really understand it most of them but they saw this leper that was ooey and gooey and they were staying away from him and they knew him because lepers pretty much hung around the same place they knew him they saw him get changed and I'm telling you what if you truly were touched by Jesus you will be changed I know I was I was changed immediately All my sin didn't go away. I still struggled with alcohol. I still struggled with other things. But certain things happened right away. Like the name of the Lord, no no longer would I take it in vain. And I remember a couple times over the last 40-some years, you know, way back in the beginning when I took the Lord's name in vain, I'd go in a corner and cry because it's holy to me. It started there. Then the cigarettes. Then the little bit of drugs that I did. Gone. And then... Then it was, you know, the uh, the mouth, the foul words that come out of your mouth. I began to change. Even my friends would say, you're a Jesus freak now. I don't want to I don't want to hang out with you. You're gonna be changed. And I mentioned it last week. If you have an encounter with the Almighty God, you will be changed. That's all there is to it. That's like like I mentioned about a truck. If you walked out this door and an 18-wheeler came and you were crossing the road and it smacked you head on, you would be changed. Your whole look would be changed. And same thing with you getting touched by the power of the living God and the Holy Spirit, you will be changed. You're not going to be dead like that guy, but you're going to be changed. The old man's going to be dead, and you're going to be alive and well. If you aren't changed then neither are you healed of your leprosy. Let me tell you that right now. You might not like this because I'm not tickling your ears with, with silly stuff. If you aren't changed, you better find out if you really accepted the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves and see if you are of the faith. Test yourself unless you fail the test. Well, if you aren't changed, we learned that in the last chapter, Chapter 7, a good tree does not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree does not produce good fruit. Listen, when's the last time you went to pick an orange off of your tree and you got stabbed with a thorn on the branch? You didn't. You didn't. It won't happen. If you had a true encounter, with the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be changed. There wouldn't be any doubt in anybody's mind something happened to you. You will be born again. Those old things that you did would be past and new things would come. I'm going to tell you what, if you don't want to be changed, don't seek Jesus. Because it's going to be a false religion now if you are changed you that's proof according to the last chapter 7 that you are saved because Jesus is telling us the fruit inspect so if you have somebody that tells you that they're saved they're going to heaven and they continue to live in their sinful leprosy then there's something wrong with that picture even if they are trying to get out of it, but they're struggling to get out of it, but they're going to get out of it. At least they're trying. And God knows that. And that's why He tells us not to judge unto condemnation in the first verse of uh, chapter 7 of Matthew. And you say, you know God. And I pointed out last week, but does God know you? You know God, you say. But there's no fruit that follows So if you went to to God and say, I don't have any fruit, He's going to say, well, neither are you my person, my my child. You say you know God, the question is, does God know you? Your response to His touch should be, number one, repentance under your self-examination. Repentance. Are you truly repenting or are you just uh, remorseful like Judas who's in hell? while Peter is in heaven. And don't sit there and say, well, you're making a judgment on Judas. Jesus himself said, better is he that he'd been thrown with a, had tied a millstone around his neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea. You say, well, if I repent, if I, and, my, and I have faith in God, my business might die. I'll lose my customers. So what? Maybe God has a different direction for you. I know me. I was building a sign business in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when I w- when I started painting signs, grocery store banners, when I was like 10 years old. And I came back from the Army, and I... I ended up getting a job at the state of Pennsylvania as a highway draftsman. And I was building this sign business on the side after I came back from the Army. And it just wouldn't go. It just couldn't support my family. It was great to go buy a new bed or a new couch. But it just wouldn't support my family. I got saved in July of 77. and November, the first week of November 77, I had to quit my job because God just piled piled, business into my sign company. So don't say that. God can do miraculous things. You have to repent and you have to have faith. Self-examination. Do you really believe like this leper believed? Do you really believe? This leper didn't have any doubt. He says, if you are willing. He didn't say, I think you could be willing. No, he said, if you are willing... In other words, I know you can make me clean. And he did. He cleans them. He said, I am willing. You have to believe. And this guy believed. And you too must believe. So your response should be repentance and having faith and believing in Jesus. Repentance is a gift. I want to read you a scripture. Repentance is a gift. So any of you out there that have repented and are saved, it was a gift from God. Here's what... Peter was in prison. An angel got him out. He goes to the door where the disciples are. Rhoda was so hysterical, she forgot to open the door. She went in and told them, Peter's at the gate. They say, oh, it's it's his, without faith, without any faith in the prayers that they were praying, they said, oh, it's his spirit. They had no faith. But then again, now, Peter and Paul were telling them, Peter was telling them a story about Cornelius, who was the Gentile that got saved, and how, as he was speaking to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on them and granted them repentance. And here's what he said. He was telling the, the church this. And then, and they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. God's granted it. It's a gift. If you're saved, it's a gift from God. Thank you, Jesus, is what i got to say. Because I don't want, that was the best day of my life, even to this day. It's a gift by God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the sinner's heart that results in a change of mind, which results in a change in your lifestyle. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 five. And verse 9 and 10 says the gospel came in word and it came in power. It came with conviction of sin. And they turned from to God from their idols. And they finally served the true and the living God. The gift of repentance comes with power. It comes with conviction of sin. Not condemnation. It comes with power and conviction that make you know that you need to repent of your sin. With a turning away from sin, that's your idol. Your spiritual leprosy, you're turning away from it. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to cheat on my spouse. I don't want to drink myself silly. I don't want to snort cocaine or whatever they do with it. Repentance comes with turning to the living God, a change of heart. And the heart here refers to your control center of your intellect and your will and your emotions. Therefore, a change of mind will always prove genuine in your attitude and in your conduct. Saul of Tarsus is a good example of that. You remember Saul, you know, he discovers that... um, He had been wrong about Jesus. After he got permission and letters to go arrest the the believers in Christ who he thought were blasphemers, he got met with the Holy Spirit, well, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. And you know he went from killing or being part of martyring people like Stephen. He went to, to believing with them and preaching with them, and they were shocked. He thought that Jesus was a blasphemer, and he found out that he was the blasphemer. He found out that Jesus is the Son of God. Like like Saul, many of you Learned should be learning that righteousness is not earned through obedience. Righteousness is not earned. It's given. You've been met. The Lord will put his righteous robe on you. Isaiah 61.10 He learned. Saul learned there's nothing good in him. Here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 7, chapter 7. Anyway, for I know nothing good dwells in me. This is Paul. He was the self-righteous Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, and that that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. He's struggling with sin, just like all of us should be struggling with sin. But you should be having victory over your sin. You should recognize all you beautiful people out there. There's nothing good in you, according to God. When you say you're good, you're comparing yourself against your neighbor or your boss. But when you compare yourself against God, you don't stand a chance. There's nothing good in you. Salvation is a gift. You know the scriptures. By grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God not as a result of works that you should boast. And he saved us, says Paul says to Titus, he saved us not on the basis of the deeds you've done in righteousness, he saved you according to his mercy by washing and regeneration. Like the leper, he was regenerated physically right before their eyes. For those of you that never did that, now it's time to do it. Now it's time to receive Christ as your Savior. And then, Paul tells you this when he wrote to the book of Romans. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means when God looks at you, when you pass from this earth, he sees the robe of righteousness of his Son on you. And the blood that cleanses you from all your sin. So are you truly in Christ? Are you truly? For all they fa- all being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear against. But you have received the spirit of adoption, and as sons, by which you cry out, "Abba, Father." Notice by one one encounter, one encounter, Saul was changed immediately. He went to that room that, that he was told to go to. For three days, he was blind, and guess what he did? He didn't eat. He didn't drink. You know what he was doing? He was praying. He was fasting. I slipped up, Lord. I called you a blasphemer. I'm the blasphemer. How did this happen? I was religious. He was proven wrong. He repented. He was changed. Here's what the Galatians said. He who once persecuted us is now preaching Jesus. And, you know, they saw the change. Why one encounter. Have you been encountered by the Lord? Paul's change of mind, it led him to being born again. He made an about face. He turned around and went in another direction. He didn't care what the scribes and Pharisees in Jerusalem said when he got those letters. I'll bet you he burned those letters that he was going to arrest those Christians that he was going after. What I'm saying here is if you're truly saved, change will accompany you. When you walk out that door, you're going to have a change of thinking. You're going to have a change in your emotion. You're going to have a change in your actions. You're going to change your mind to the recognition that Jesus Christ is truly the Lord God Almighty. You will really recognize your sins like David. He said this, For I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin of leprosy. Let's add that is ever before me against you, against you only have I sinned and done this evil in, my, in your sight, that you may be found just whom you speak and blameless when you judge. Here's Daniel. I prayed in the Lord my God, and he confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. That's telling you're doing something. We have sinned and committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled in even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. David is saying, and Daniel's saying, you know, no more pride. No, I'm not going to lust. He said, well, David was full of pride. He said, I'm king. I don't care who's a, whose wife that woman is over there. Go get her. Bring her here. Pride. That pride led to lust. It led to adultery. It led to a a, per, a child being born out of wedlock. It brought forth lies. It brought forth murder. Not just of Uriah, you know. Joab put Uriah up in the front line where the where they would be shot by the archers from the enemy. And it wasn't just Uriah that died. It was the other soldiers that were killed during that arrow attack. David was a mass murderer. And God saved him because God's mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness to us. So no matter what sins in your life, God can heal it. And your leprosy of sin can be made clean right before your mother's eyes. Your spouse's eyes, your dad's eyes, and even your workplace. And people will identify you because they'll see you have changed. I'm going to end with this. And I got more notes that I could go on for another half hour easy. Here's what Paul tells in the second letter to the Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner. So listen out there and hear. It's time to quit playing games with God. It's time to wake up and get out there and preach Jesus and apply this teaching to your life, the scriptures to your life, that you might change and become a new person. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He didn't say you should be. I hope you will. He said you must be born again or you will not even see the kingdom of heaven. So repent and change. Receive Christ as your Savior. He has the power. He has demonstrated his power. And we're going to see more of this as we go through chapter eight, chapter nine, and chapter 10 of Matthew. Repent with your whole heart. You don't need me to pray. You need to get on your knees, or sit in your chair, whatever you're doing, and with your whole heart receive Christ as your Savior. Tell him, I am a sinner, I want to be saved, I want to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and I want the Holy Spirit to come into my life and make me the man, the woman, the child of God that you want me to be. And may it all be to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Pray that with all your heart, not your head. As I always say, you'll miss heaven by 18 inches from here to here because God's looking on your heart. In Jesus' name, I love you all. Tune back in on Thursday night, 7.15, and on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. next week, we'll be in chapter 8 again of Matthew. God bless you, love you all. Any of you here are ready to come up?